So about a month ago, I had the pleasure of having my family here, uh, including my grandsons, visiting us. And I realized after about the third day of getting up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning to take care of my grandson and change his diaper and all the things, that it became a have-to situation. I was not enjoying it by any stretch of the imagination. But why wasn't I? It should have been a want to. And when I really, after I thought about it for a minute, I was the only one up with my grandson. I got to be with my grandson, and I should, that should be a joyous time, not a burden. But so many times we look at things that we're blessed by as a burden, as a thing that we have to do instead of want to do. And so after a couple days of that, I went, all right, this is enough. I'm going to just be joyous when I wake up and be excited. And I was thankful because I was able to let my son and my daughter-in-law, who did get to do this every single day, get a break. They got to sleep in a little bit. And anybody who has kids that, or can remember that far back, that the little, how, that's amazing to get to sleep in at all. You know, because I guess 4.30 or 5, especially a kid coming from California, and he, we're like, oh, he'll sleep till 7 because he sleeps till 6 in California. That's perfect. No. I don't know why. I don't know why. But uh, that was, you know, that was a wake-up call for me on, on what my attitude was toward such a blessing that I have in my life. And so sometimes we do that with others. And so even like something as simple as mowing the lawn. I hate mowing my lawn. I always joke I do it once a quarter if it needs it or not. So, but luckily I got the rider fixed finally. I used to walk, push mow our yard, and it's an acre, so it used to take me five hours to push mow it. So it's understandable. And it looked like a quilt most of the time because I would take an hour and mow this section, and then I'd do it the next section later, and then I would do it later, and so I'd have all different varying heights on my lawn. But if any of you called me and said, hey, I, I can't mow my yard right now, but I, wanna, I need my yard mowed, I'd be there in a heartbeat. Because I would love to do that. So that's a want to versus a have to. I have to take care of my own yard, but I don't have to take care of your, your yard. I get to. So I want to. I want to serve you. I want to help you. So why is it so different? Why is that so different in our own lives? Why do we sometimes see some things that are blessings and the opportunities as have to's instead of want to's? So how many of you grew up in a church where you got to earn your salvation? I did. I did. My parents, I mean, if there was an event, we had to be at it. If there was cleanup day, we led that cleanup day. If there was anything, we had to do it because that's how we were raised. We were raised, you had to earn your salvation. That's a have to. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I mean, how many of you here feel tension by being a Christian? Do you feel that you have to live up to something being a Christian? Do you feel it as a burden sometimes in your life being a Christian? I know you have. You don't have to answer. I know you have. There's times where you're just like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I just don't want to do this. There's so many rules. There's so many regulations. There's so many things. And guess what? We're never going to live up to all of them or most of them. And that's why we have to be Christians because we have Christ to redeem us for when we don't. Or maybe you love it. Maybe you love, 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 and you never have a conflict with being a Christian. I commend you. 
because that means it's life-gaining instead of life-draining. But there are times where being, following Christ can be life-draining if you choose to look at things a certain way. There are two approaches to Christianity. I would contest one of them is not Christianity at all. And the first is the law. Obeying is how you obtain right standing with God. That's the have to. And the second is salvation by faith, which gives us the desire to obey the law, which is want to. When you think of your faith walk, do you feel burdened? Feel not good enough? That you're not worthy? Or are you humbled by the fact that God picked you to be his hands and feet? I mean, you have to admit, our society is set up on an earn, to, or you have to earn it. You have to earn it. You have to do it. You have to do whatever. I mean, look at how our lives start. We start with, we have to get good grades. Then we have to play sports so we can go to college because we've got to get a scholarship. And the reality of that is most people won't get scholarships, but they still have to do it. And then we have to study for the ACT and the SAT and make sure we get into the right college so that we can, then we can graduate with honors and we have to have a job and then we have to be just work and work and work and work. And then we find the person we want to marry or we in a relationship and so then we have to work at that. And then we get a house and then we work at our house and we work and we work and we work and then we have kids and we continue to work and we have to work so the kids are healthy and we have to keep working and we earn all these things because we're told we don't deserve any of it. We have to earn all of it. And then our health. Even though we're healthy, most of us are generally healthy, we have to work on it because we're told we're not healthy enough all the time. And so, and then also, then you work and work and work, and then you work so that you can earn your retirement. So you deserve a retirement, and it just goes on and on and on. We have to work and work and work. So it's no wonder that we have a have-to life. That we feel like we have to do everything. But then, you know, God comes along and changes the whole story. And we're not used to that. It's not our way. That's not the way we're wired. That's not the way we're built. That's not what our society tells us. That we get a free gift that wasn't really free. But to us, it's a gift. I mean, remember my grandson, the story I just told. I have the blessing of a grandson. And I... I had to get up to take care of him. I didn't look at it as I get to get up to take care of my grandson and spend time with my grandson. So how does God want us to worship him? How does he want us to serve him? Does he want us to feel burdened? Overcome with... So much on our to-do list for God that we can't enjoy God? Is that what his intention is? That we prove ourselves by how much we can accomplish and how much we do? Or is it more by how we can be? So look, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6-15. through Remember this, whoever sows sparingly... Oh yeah, by the way, Dan, did we talk before the service? Not at all. <laughs> Holy Spirit was at work, I'm just saying. This is confirmation right here. But remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, 
Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of, of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, uh, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. How does God want us to give? With a cheerful heart and not under compulsion. This is also why God gave us free will. He doesn't want us to have to follow Him. He wants us, he wants us to want to follow Him. I think a lot of times we limit this passage to financial contribution, but I believe that this illustration is for how we serve the kingdom and everyone in it. I mean, look at verse 8. It says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, not just when the offering plate is passed, but in all things at all times. And now in verse 10, it says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. So you don't have to be fearful of being, spreading your seed. And I'm talking your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever you want to put in there, your desire to be with others, whatever it is, your compassion, your love, he will supply more. Your energy, your, your, you just put it in there and he is going to supply more. And it's so that you can be generous on every occasion. You know, relationships don't last very long that are all about following rules. That is a dictatorship and not a relationship. I mean, marriages fail or are not cherished when it is all about following rules. Why would we expect that to be different about our relationship with Christ? When all you're trying to do is jump through hoops to please your spouse or or your girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever in a relationship, your son, daughter, father, mother, however your relationship is, if all you're doing is trying to jump through hoops, you start to resent those hoops, and pretty soon you do not spend time with that individual because it just is not worth it. And so why would we expect anything different with our relationship with Christ? I mean, do any of your actions ever become work or an obligation? I'll start with church attendance. Do you show up because it's tradition? Or because you want to be here? Because you want to glorify God. You want to spend time with the Lord. You're giving. You're serving. Spending time with those in need. Your quiet time. Your prayer time. Your devotionals. Your Bible studies. The list is long of all the ways that we think we have to praise the Lord because it's our obligation instead of our opportunity. I mean, have you ever said to yourself, oh man, why is my life in shambles? If I would have just prayed more, I probably wouldn't be in this place. True. Probably if you did pray more, you probably wouldn't be in that place. But you're asking for something in return for what you just did. 
you're thinking you're getting a reward for the actions you just made by praying more or spending more time in devotional or in quiet time. You're expecting to get something when you do those things instead of just taking it as, I get to spend time with the Lord. And if you suffer from any of those as I do, I ask that God would change your heart. You know, the song we sang at the end of the prayer was, Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. And I ask that that would just be something that would resonate in your head today and every day. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. We're going to look at another scripture by Paul. And it was a letter written to Galatia, which is where Dan read from as well. But Paul has gone there in the past and taught that the gospel was not uh, and was now refuting the leaders who had added more rules to how you could be saved. As, you, as some of you already know or some don't, there were people coming behind Paul saying, well, that's fine, you can follow Christ and you can do all these things, but you still need to be circumcised, you still need to follow these other rules in order to get your salvation. And Paul was writing this letter to refute what those had said. And so it's Galatians 3, and it's going to start, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus, Jesus Christ's death was made clear, as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? It's a great question. Why do we start out so simple when the first time we hear about Christ, and if you hear about it as a child, it's even easier. You believe every story that's in the Bible. You believe all the miraculous things that happen. You go home and you share it with your family, and you're so excited about all these things, and then you're Adults, we sit there and go, well, physically, that's not possible that that could even happen. There's no way that that time frame could work. And that, we disprove all of the different, we try to put them, the stories to the side and just go, well, that's just figurative. Is it? We over-intellectualize everything. And I think that's why it's so easy to believe like a child. They don't put our human limitations on God. We do that often. We, we, do, we dismiss what God is able to do. Let's break the cycle of work, work, work. Let's break that cycle and just inherit the gift that we aren't deserving by any stretch of the imagination. But Christ was willing to die to give us. And verse 10 continues, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under His curse. For the Scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says, it is through obeying the law that a person has life. The law is good because it points out our inability to accomplish right standing with God on our own. It serves us as a great reminder that we are dependent upon Christ. And then verse 13, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took up himself, uh, took upon himself the cross for our wrongdoing. 
For it is written in the Scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing He promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. You know, I'm not sure that I actually maybe shared anything you didn't already know in your heart of hearts. You probably already knew everything I said today. But I want to leave you with a couple of things. First is a statement. Grace is a free gift that changes you. Grace is a free gift that changes you. If you don't believe you deserve grace, you won't be changed. But grace is a free gift that changes you. So with that, a lot of people don't understand all the different definitions of words that we use in our faith. So there's three words I want to illustrate in a, through an illustration I heard this week. And they are justice, mercy, and grace. So, let's say you get done with church today. And you had a fabulous service. And you are so excited you want to go tell your friends about it. And you take off. And you drive out of here and you're just flying toward the golf course. To tell your, all your friends at the golf course. If that's where they are. I don't know. But you're flying and you realize you're going 50 down the highway. Highway 50 in town here. And all of a sudden you see the lights behind you. And you know you're in trouble. So what's the first thing you do? You start praying, right? <laughs> you're like, God, if, if you'll just get me out of this ticket, if you'll just, just do it, I'll, I'll fast the rest of this trip to the golf course. I mean, <laughs> whatever you need to do to make this happen that you don't receive what you deserve, which is called justice. And of course, the officer comes up, gives you your, takes your license registration, comes back and says, here's your ticket. And that's what you deserve. So that's justice. But then the other situation is mercy. What if he comes back and he goes, hey, I know that you looked like you pulled out of community church, and so we're going to give you an exemption on this one. We'll just give you a warning. That's mercy. That's what you were hoping for. It was just a mercy, that he would just give you a break, right? That's what you'd hope the officer would do, is give you a break. So that's mercy. Well, what we have is grace. And grace goes beyond. It's the exact opposite of justice. So what we deserve is a ticket. But what, what happens if the officer comes up and goes, hey, here is your, not only am I going to give you a warning, but I'm going to give you $300 to go enjoy a good meal afterwards. That's getting grace. That's getting more than you deserve. That's giving you the money that you were supposed to pay for the ticket back to you and giving it to you and saying, hey, and by the way, I'm, I'm Officer Chin. Um, go ahead and just drop my name the next time you get pulled over and they'll let you off another ticket. They know me in the precinct, you know, or whatever. I don't know, but, you know, just something like that. You know, it's like that's what grace is. And so the last thing to change you, if that didn't remind you of what you had, the last one, is let's say that you walk out of church today and you're excited and you just you start walking toward, I don't know, South Iowa. And you get, you get caught in your thoughts and you don't realize where you are, but you're in the crosswalk and you, oh, you notice your shoe needs to be tied. So you bend down and you go to tie your shoe and there's a car coming and it's going to hit you. And all of a sudden, you know that you're done. There's no way you're going to escape this. This car is going to hit you. It's probably going to kill you. There's just no way to get out of this. But all of a sudden, somebody pushes you out of the way. And you get saved, and that person dies in your place. Would you honor that person? Would you maybe even want to create a memorial for that person? Would you do things to bring on, to carry on the tradition of that person? Would you want to make sure that people knew about who this person was that saved your life? 
course. We see it all the time in the news, right? Where somebody gives a kidney or whatever or something and we show all these honors. But that's exactly what Christ did for us. He jumped in front of that car. And he died in our place. And that is grace. Because we deserve justice. Because we cannot do this without Christ. So the final question I have for you. Does your love of God outweigh your fear of hell? Because if you're only in this to escape hell, then you are stuck in a have-to relationship. And, if you, and you will miss the blessing of living in a want-to relationship with our God and Creator. Amen. All right, so I picked a hymn that